Hey Chatters, it's us again, DocPlay, presenting the world's best documentary films and factual series all in one place. DocPlay has something for everyone looking to dig deeper on topics like fashion, sports, biographies, music, politics, and much, much more. If you're a fashion devotee like sales, we're sure you have no trouble getting stuck into award-winning fashion films like Dior and I, Westwood, McQueen, and the September issue, and that's just the beginning. With dozens of Academy Award winners and nominees, you're looking at the very best docs. This isn't YouTube. Give us a try today. Visit docplay.com slash chatters and get 45 days free access. That's D-O-C-P-L-A-Y dot com slash chatters. Now, here's Sales and Crab. How come you have been listening to so many podcasts? Uh, Well, actually, um, there was some list of good podcasts to listen to in in the new year, which Jeremy found and just rattled off a few names to me of things that sounded good. And I just dialed them up and added them to my um, uh, subscription um, thing. And I have, in fact, just listened my way through heaps of them. So um, the first one I started out, out with was a podcast called The Last Days of August by John Ronson. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that John Ronson did a podcast. I did not either. And when I started listening to it, I realised that this was the second season oh. of a podcast that he's – of a follow-up to a podcast that he did about the porn industry. Oh, yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily go and listen to a podcast about the porn industry, but I this, wish John Ronson did it. Well, that's exactly right. So the John Ronson effect is strong in writing, and it really works in podcasts as right. well. It turns out, but catch this—he's got the funniest voice, right? Like he's got mm. this very mild um, and a very Welsh accent, mm-hmm. and it's so sort of musical and diffident. At first blush, you think, oh, this is going to be annoying. And it isn't. It's not annoying at all. I found I found him really, really easy to listen to. And the thing that I am attracted to him as a writer is that he's incredibly open-minded and really interested, right? I like the way that he writes about even extreme people in a way that kind of listens and tries to explain and discover why they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. And I think there's not that much of that going on in the world now you know mm, there's a lot of so this is who you register as and I'm registered as this so I'll just hate you and yell at you mm. um and and you know I mean he he has interviewed some truly hateful people um and he constantly gets himself into scrapes because he kind of um gets on quite intimate terms with some f- at sometimes quite frightening people um and lives a life of paranoia as a result but on so I started listening to the last days of August which is about what he's investigating what happened to this porn star called August Ames which is her screen name now she was a young and -and up-and-coming porn star and she um made a comment on Twitter about having been let go from an upcoming shoot that she was doing because she'd learned that her her co-star had filmed gay porn and she wasn't prepared to um, work with a man who'd done principally gay porn. So she later said, because she was absolutely set upon on Twitter by other people in the industry and saying, well, what are you talking about? Like that's an appalling thing to say. It's incredibly offensive to all of these men who work in the industry and blah, blah, blah. Of course, our um, 
very safe with their bodies and blah 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 blah. Oh, right. um, and then she said, "Oh no, it's not. It's not because it's not a safety thing. It's just you know, I would hate to um, just film." porn with a guy who wouldn't be into me kind of thing. It was, it, it was all a bit confusing. Mm. But then she disappeared and her body was found and she had taken her life. And so her husband immediately um, called for the industry to have a rethink about its about um, you know social media pylons and said that she was bullied to death and so on. And so Ronson goes and talks to the husband and then goes into her world basically and kind of explores what happened to her. And so it is not a kind of whodunit. It's not, it doesn't turn into a murder mystery, but what it does turn into is an exploration of the porn industry. And um, it's quite compelling and he his extraordinary manner is quite central to, um, I think, the the value and listenability of the podcast right. and as soon as i'd finished it um i and the odd thing is i was listening to this at the same time you know how i told you last podcast that i was reading um the uh, all the president's women a book yeah. about um uh, donald trump. trump um there's a few characters that cross over from the porn industry to the love life of donald trump so oh. i'm like oh okay i remember I you from you oh being in donald trump's hotel oh. room so have <laughs> which you, is so you know you said it was the season two yes so uh, have you gone – is what you're talking about, have you gone back and listened to season one? And right, then... so I listened to season one after I listened to season two. Oh, okay. Season one is actually – I mean, thematically, it's more fascinating and um, I – he looks at – it's called The Butterfly Effect, the first, the first series, and he looks at the effect of Pornhub – on the conventional porn industry. So Pornhub is the work of this entrepreneur who um, basically saw the opportunity to build a platform where people just upload porn for free and it's very frequently porn that they've bought and then upload so it's pirated, right? right. And what effect has that had on the legacy porn industry? And the answer is huge it's Mm. completely ripped a hole in the profit model of porn right like because who will pay for porn online when they can go and watch it for free and it's also had this quite profound effect on teen sexuality as well which is actually one of the most frightening um undercurrents of this investigation that ronson does so he starts with the entrepreneur who created Pornhub, and then goes and um looks at um talks to producers and directors and stars in the porn industry to see how their lives have changed Mm. and what emerges and, and and the final episode is just actually incredibly moving. I mean, you, you go through some of the strange new um, uh, extremes and developments in the porn industry, for instance, the rise of what they call customs, which is where so companies that will film a movie to the exact specifications of someone who writes in. Like, so if your fantasy is to, you know, watch a Dachshund dig a hole while two Swedes have sex with each other or something like that, then they will absolutely make that happen and email it to you. Yeah. So you buy your own porn movie and um, lots of people do it apparently and they've got these incredibly 
Baroque requests. And the most strange one, um, or one of the strangest, that he investigates, and he gets quite obsessed with it, finding this guy, because he comes across a bunch of actresses that have all performed in um, that have all performed in um, custom made videos for this one guy whose um, fetish is to watch beautiful women destroying his stamp collection. Yeah. <laughs> and all of these stars are like, oh, stamp guy, yeah. Yeah, we've done one for wow. him. And so he's commissioned about seven of these movies that are Ronson just about. Well, you have to listen. But <sighs> you do get an explanation, yeah. It's oh. quite – anyway, it just – it has made me think about the porn industry in a way that I would never have before. Hmm. But it, it goes into all sorts of I – mean, it's called the butterfly effect because it's like, well, what has this – what has this innovation of bottomless free un- – um, online porn or it's not entirely bottomless it's actually lousy with <laughs> bottoms um what's it what's it done it's destroyed and warped this industry beyond recognition but it's also complete so one of the most disturbing um elements of his reporting is looking at the exact correlation between the onset of free online porn with um, increasing levels of erectile dysfunction among young men and also um, also with declining rates of teen pregnancy, which is a great outcome mm. but also is actually tied to the fact that these young men watch porn and have no idea how to, like, approach a relationship with a real live girl. Mm. It's really, yeah... It's quite – it's a really good series. Look, I wouldn't rec- – it's, it's not particularly um, – it's not particularly explicit. Um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend – like, I wouldn't get my daughter to listen to it. No. But it's um, – Sounds super interesting. It's really interesting. I mean, John Ronson's, John Ronson's always very interesting. It, it's, it's really hard for him to do something boring, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just the approach that he takes is always just – he is the definition of curiosity, I think, and yeah, he's definitely. a really valuable writer mm. and broadcaster as a result. I listened to a podcast that was recommended to us to listen to called How to Fail, um, and it was I've only listened to two episodes and it's two Phoebe Waller-Bridge episodes. Oh, stop um, it. She was fantastic. She's so smart and funny. Yeah. I just was really quite taken with her and blown away. I'd love to be her. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, anyway, How to Fail, I recommended it. it was really great. Good. That's not even it for the podcast that I've been listening to, wow. baby. Now, not even it. So Hit me up. Hit I me. have been also listening to a podcast that you are going to love. Yeah. It's called Disgraceland. Yeah. And it is a podcast account of the bad behaviour of rock stars. Like oh, there's heaps of I them. I am here for that all it's day. so good. <laughs> So um, Jerry Lee Lewis is, it funny? is the first episode. Is it funny or disturbing? It's just jaw-dropping. Right. I, and it's it's sort of funny. Um, it starts off with Jerry Lee Lewis, like low-hanging fruit. <laughs> like how did this man get away with murdering his wife, etc. I mean that's quite shocking. And not shocking to, to know that Jerry Lee Lewis was poorly behaved, but it's just to get all of the poor behaviour just wrapped up in a podcast is really th- quite thrillingly um, shocking. Um, but the thing that – 
sometimes, you know, when you listen to a podcast about a historical event, you sort of think, oh, God, I really should have known that or I didn't really know that. So one of the ones that I just found absolutely jaw-dropping was the one about the Rolling Stones. Now, you've read... Um, Keith Richards' book, yeah. Right. So they focus on um, the concert that they did in... Toronto, I think it was, in Canada, when they were launching a new album and everybody was just incredibly high the whole time and Keith Richards has flown into um, Canada and got busted for just this unbelievable amount of drugs that he had on him, which he gallantly handed over to his wife who got, you know, taken into custody and somehow he got bailed or he just skipped or something. He got to the hotel and bailed up in there and then did this concert but also in attendance, and this is the bit that really blew my mind, was um, the wife of Pierre Trudeau, who at that point was the um, Prime Minister of Canada. And she was kind of like a, a hippy-dippy flower child type. And she just was – she just left and went and moved in with the Rolling Stones, went to the concert, and then went AWOL and apparently – well, is understood to have, you know, <clears throat> spent some quality time <laughs> with Keith. <laughs> It's just – it's so jaw-dropping. And then the narrator mentions as well that she, um, you know, was a, quite a swinging lady and also was reputed to have had an affair with Fidel Castro and hence, he says, and again I thought, oh, my God, I didn't know this, what? Um, hence the speculation that um, Justin Trudeau is actually Fidel Castro's son because the dates totally check out oh. apparently. Really? <laughs> Like, oh my God. I just thought, you know, sometimes you're watching The Crown and you're kind of like, mm, tapity tapity tap, goo goo goo, because you're kind of like, Did yeah, that really happen? Yeah, because you can't quite believe it really. Yeah. Happened. Well, I did that. And yeah, there is a bunch of conspiracy theories <laughs> that, like, Justin Trudeau <laughs> is Fidel Castro's son. Anyway, oh, absolutely fascinating. Absolutely and so, nice. I mean, it is good fun podcast giving you some. Okay, potentially that sounds, spurious facts that about so far up yeah, my alley. I, I can't know, even tell I know. you. I'm I listen to a podcast that's right not. It's well, it's not the same as that, but it's just about music. It's called um, Hit Parade. It's done by Slate, and they go through and they sort of look at either famous songs or famous artists and look at sort of yeah. interesting things about them. Anyway, the one that again it was recommended to me by somebody. The one I first listened to was about Phil Collins, um, mm. and the premise of it is they sort of make the case that Phil Collins is the most influential musician of the 1980s, which mm. I sort of went, oh, come on, like Michael Jackson Thriller came out in the yeah. 1980s, like, come Can't on. Can't really forgive him for Susudio. <laughs> <laughs> that apparently word was a place filler that they just went with in the end because it just had the right, they were oh, trying to really? fill the, yeah. Um, just always profoundly annoying, but anyway. Anyway, he made the point that in the thing, um, so it sort of talks about why Phil Collins was influential. And so interestingly they talk about – in music, it is very, very rare for a successful band to spawn solo careers. It has yep. happened on rare occasions like Justin Timberlake, Timberlake coming out of NSYNC, um, but uh, mostly like Debbie Harry's tried it, Mick Jagger tried it, Freddie Mercury tried it. Mm. It just it does not work. Um, and usually the band suffers as well. Yeah. The one exception to this rule is Genesis. Yeah. And everybody who's ever like basically laid a finger on Genesis has gone on to have great success. So Peter Gabriel was the original lead singer yeah. of Genesis, left Genesis to go and have a very successful solo career. When they were auditioning to try to find a new lead singer, Phil Collins, who was the drummer, was filling in. Um, they 
couldn't find anyone and they basically said, Phil, will go with you. He was like, I'm just not a lead singer. They were like, well, we, we're just going to, so let's do it. They did it. Genesis then moves into a new phase of great success. <laughs> Phil Collins is then having a very successful solo yeah. career. The guitarist of Genesis, Mike, I forget his last name, is Mike of Mike and the Mechanics who has that song oh, Living right. Years. Yeah. So it's like every single person that's ever come into touch with Maybe Genesis. Maybe is you've got to call your band something that means the beginning of something else. Could be. Like you have to call it Phoenix, New Beginnings. <laughs> so there's this amazing bit in, in um, pop music history where on the American music charts the top song is Phil Collins Against All Odds. Mm. It's just displaced Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer. No. And number three is Genesis Invisible Touch. Get out. And then Phil Collins, they also run through all of these other – Phil Collins was a total workaholic – all these other people who he produced albums for. And when they play clips of them, you're like – how, how, how did I never hear before that that sounds exactly like Phil Collins? Yeah, um, right. So when they sort of lay out the case, you sort of end going, actually, Phil Collins was massively influential. You've swung. It was very interesting. And then I listened to the Stevie Wonder one, who I adore, and that was fascinating as well. And like stuff like the song Superstition is about Richard Nixon. What? Yeah. It's like, you know, if you believe in things you don't understand, superstition is the way and um, oh, okay. sort of um, very superstitious with writings on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Stevie, Stevie Wonder had a particular dislike of Richard Nixon and there's other Stevie Wonder songs as well that are about Richard Nixon. Um, anyway, it was, it was also incredible. I mean, the thing with Stevie Wonder, as with lots of amazing artists, was – just how, how evident his talent was at a really young age and that he signed a record deal, I think, at age 12 and then he's pumped out by age 20, um, um, uptight. Uptight. Da, 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 da. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you just were really murdering that. So, so. <laughs> I think I've got, got the words around the wrong way. I think it's all right comes first. Everything is upside up. Get this lady um, recording contract. Uptight, for once in my life, I think was one of oh, those yeah. early ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's done all these amazing things by age 20 and then sort of gets out. He wants, he's got his own vision for what he wants to do and so he gets out of that um, and then he does an album called um, – well, he does many great albums, but there's a particularly brilliant one called Songs in the Key of Life, which is just... Oh, yeah. It, it's which like is a, a great title too. Oh, and it's just like a best... It almost feels like a best of because every song's so brilliant. Um, anyway, it's just a really interesting podcast and I love those two episodes and I've got a heap bookmarked, but I think now you are uh, going to have diverted me into Disgraceland. Yeah, I know. And there's another one too that I've um, now listened to the whole of in the last couple of days. Oh. Um, it's called Bundyville. Yeah. And Not it is... Ted Bundy. No. Oh different Bundy totally different Bundy so this is about Cliven Bundy yeah who is um this sort of uh anti-government survivalist separatist kind of cult figure in Nevada who staged this sort of resistance against the government um because he was um a, a public land rancher like running his cattle on public land and the government um, wanted him to pay a fee for the use of the land and he refused because he didn't recognise the government, right? Like, mm-hmm. So he went all the way to the Supreme Court effectively. Um, Supreme Court? Quite a senior court. Um, essentially arguing that the government doesn't exist, you know. It's, it, it, and he um, has attracted all of these sort of um, right-wing extremists to – um, uh, gather around his his um, campaign. Um, I first heard about Clive and Bundy because there is a uh, a very very just 
shockingly funny dollop episode about him. Oh, yeah. But it, and, that, yeah. and it is, I mean, they are just savaging him and his, um, his followers and his central argument and everything about him. But this podcast is actually looking critically at how he came to um, have these views and the role that he and similar figures have played in the ignition of right-wing anti-government um, kind of cults, basically. Right. And it's really fascinating. And actually these two podcasts and their different approaches to the same individual tell you a lot about, um, about I don't know, just – there's something the the dollop podcast is very funny, but it is about mocking this you know idiot basically, mm. and the podcast Bondyville looks at how uh, pervasive and powerful this story was mm. for a bunch of people who gathered behind him. It's just it's really fascinating. Mm, okay, and you just knocked it all over in two days. Um, so. Yeah, look, so I think there's a series two. I've listened to the first series, which is seven apps and right. sort of half hour apps. They're nice and crunchy. You can get through them. And um, it's, uh, yeah, definitely worth a listen. Okay, I'm going to get through this as fast as possible because I don't want to take us over the 30 minutes. If you like chat10looks3.com, you can visit our website. Um, there are links. Give the address, sales. Give the address. Chat10looks3.com, that's what I just said. Oh, Everything we talk about, there's links to all of it right there. There's a thing that called Bedside Table you can click on. It's an online bookstore. You can buy the books that we talk about. Uh, sometimes there's merch for sale on there. Sometimes there's details about live shows that we're doing. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. And if you see Annabelle Crab in the streets, make sure you walk up and say hello and ask her to. <laughs> To open your local school fate. And I will give them your home address. You're welcome. I did a bit of reading, but I think I've mostly been watching stuff actually over um, summer. I've read a few books. I told you about all the president's women yeah. that um, I've I read. Yeah. I think the best thing that I've read over summer is this book uh, called um, – such a fun age. I saw that in the bookshop today. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. So it's by a writer called Kylie Reed and it's it's about race relations in the US broadly um, but it is so nuanced and it's all about white people who are falling over themselves to show that they're not racist. Right. And is it is – Is it also black or white? Black. Right. And um, it's – first of all, it's just a really pacey, compelling kind of – it's like a drama of manners, right? Mm -hmm. So the principal character is a woman who, um, you know, she was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign. She's um, had a baby and then another baby. She and her husband have moved out of New York. She kind of misses her work. She's got two little kids. She's kind of a bit like she's trying to write a book. She's struggling and she's got this babysitter who um, helps her out. And um, her husband is a news presenter and he says something like he's in the, in the middle of this social media storm because he says something a bit appalling um, that gets him into this sort of accusations of racism um, so he's a bit kind of compromised. And one night there's eggs thrown at their house and 
the wife is massively um, upset, wants to get the police in, but wants to get um, her little girl out of the house. So calls her babysitter mm-hmm. and says, can you come in and take her out? Just take her down to the 24-hour supermarket. She loves hanging out there. It's like 11 o'clock at night or something. And while she's there, the babysitter is accosted by store security and is um, challenged because what's what's this black girl doing Late at night. Oh, with a white kid. With a white kid. Right. Where's the kids? What are you doing? Right. And so the whole episode is horrifying for the mother who vows and declares that she's going to bring this girl into the bosom of her family and absolutely show that she's not racist and neither is her husband. And what happens, and there's another um, ancillary drama as well with um, the babysitter's boyfriend who turns out to have a personal tie-in with the mum but what it is about is about all these white people running around trying to demonstrate that they're kind of more woke less racist than this other person and this woman who's in the middle of it is essentially completely trampled over by all of these massively virtuous um white people who are it's it is it's funny it's piercing, it's full of drama, it's awkward, it's challenging, it's really, really, it's a great book. Oh, it sounds yeah. good. It's okay. really good. The premise sounds fantastic, so yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's, um, got lots of, um, it's got lots of nice crunchy plot points and um, I think it'll be quite a, I think it'll be quite a, quite a punchy and influential book. Can I – I'll just quickly dismiss a couple of things that I didn't love before I tell you my favourite book yeah. of summer. Um, the Dutch House by Anne Patchett. Oh, didn't love. No. I haven't read, read it yet. No. I just – I didn't love it. Um, and I sort of realised after I'd been reading it for a while because I was thinking, oh, but I normally love Anne Patchett. Like, why aren't I liking it? I realised that I had confused Anne Patchett with Anne Tyler, who I do <laughs> genuinely love. Um, yeah, it's basically wrong a, Anne. What, wrong Anne, What yeah. about Anne Enright? Like, do you, <laughs> I oh, like Anne Enright. Too many Anne's. Um, the premise is basically – brother and sister have been abandoned by their mother. Um, oh, there's you know, a lot of child just, abandonment, isn't yeah. there, and in the Anne Because she wrote Commonwealth blah, that blah. I really loved. Yeah, I thought it was that was oh, all right. Get what behind about the, she me. She wrote that opera singer one too, didn't she, where they were taken hostage? Oh, yeah, oh, which Bel is Canto. Yeah, yeah, Bel Canto, yeah. which I haven't read. Which I, I thought everyone loved that, but I thought it was sort of average. So, yeah, anyway, so Dutch House didn't love it. Um, okay, well, I'm going to read one. it and come back to you because um, Platinum Chatter Christy Hunter um, loved it. Okay. So, and, you know, I believe her. The other one I didn't love, which you loved, was The Godmother. Um, oh, which you really? said was the best thriller you'd read in a long time. I found it just like, yeah, it's all right. Didn't oh overly. Who even me. are you? I don't know, but it didn't, you jumped didn't love straight it. into that on my um, recommendation. The other one I read over summer, which I did love, but it wasn't my favourite, was um, "Unreliable Memoirs" by Clive James. Oh, which yeah, yeah. is very you Australian. Kept texting me bits of it. Yeah, there was funny bits, and <laughs> I was staying at a um, place that had a sign that nearby that said, um, "You know, beware a snake, a brown snake is operating in this." I love that. <laughs> I love the use of the word operating. Or operates it was. A brown snake operates in this area. She's got this vision of this snake in a trench coat and a pair of sunnies just like operating. Or actually just, you know, with scalpel. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but there was a great bit in the Clive James thing where he talked about walking to school through snake bits. And as he described the calculation about whether you're better to just sprint as fast as you can through with your eyes shut or whether to just mince through on your tippy toes. It was just exactly the calculation I was making every day when I had to You make lots of path. noise, don't you? That's the idea with snakes. Really? They're I don't more know. scared of you than you are of them, allegedly. I was just so it relieved like when I got out of that neighbourhood. Proposition that is only properly challenged when you've been bitten. <laughs> 
The I'm not telling you anything you don't already know here, but there were so many um, beautiful turns of phrase in that book, um, and I just wrote down one of the, the sort of last one that I thought I better write one of these down to read out loud on the pod. He's on a very busy um, a bus, packed bus, and he says the air tasted as if it had just been squirted out of the safety valve of a pressure cooker full of cabbage. (laughs) Perfect description. Oh, that's so good. But my favourite book of summer was Broody by Heather Rose. Oh, I've just started that. Yeah. it's it's. I'll be really interested to hear what you think when you finish it. It's a thriller um, and it is – well, I'm not giving anything away because it open, opens with this. Uh, a bridge is being built between mainland Tasmania and Bruni Island mm-hmm. and it's very controversial and one night it just gets blown up um, in an act of terrorism. And then things sort of go from there and it explores um, – I get it's obviously fiction. Um, it explores Tasmania's history of protest and, yeah. and – Lots of people on my Instagram when I said that I liked it said a Tasmanian said they couldn't believe how well it evoked Tasmania and the sort of vibe of Tasmanians and, and what they is think about things. Is she from Tasmania? She is. She lives oh. in Tasmania. Um, you might remember I absolutely loved her last book, Museum of Modern Love. I know, yeah. Um, I didn't love it as much as that but I absolutely loved that so much so yeah. that doesn't really say anything about it. But I certainly ripped through it and then I gave it to my friend who was staying with me and she ripped through it and – yeah, it was good. Yeah, Loved I've um, jumped into it and it's already – like it's quite – It's a thriller. Yeah, it's quite um, gripping already. Yeah. Mainly because the principal character, you know, is, is this UN um, uh, negotiator and there's a, it opens with a great, great um, little scenario where she's a crisis negotiator and it's quite um, – and it very Shocking. it very quickly, I think, um, it gives you the sense that all is not as it seems with her, that she's not just a UN negotiator. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's, it's good. I really liked it. Um, I'm, I am reading about 10 books at once at the moment, which is what happens to me at Christmas. I sort of start, you know, um, I jump into a few different things. I quite like to have a nonfiction and a fiction oh, yeah. going at the same time. Yeah. So um, after the um, – all the President's Women, I started reading Tyson Jungerporter's book, Sand Talk. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing to be reading at the moment with all of this stuff that's happening with Bruce Pascoe. Um, I, I, I find that the attacks on Bruce Pascoe are fairly upsetting. I just, I don't know. It's, um, there seems to be two prongs to it. There's a kind of um, the accusation from, well, mainly from this um, Indigenous activist Jennifer Cashman, that um, Bruce Pascoe is not Indigenous and therefore has somehow defrauded um, money by receiving an Indigenous Writers' Prize. Mm -hmm. She's then gone on to say that there ought to be a register of sort of proper Indigenous people in Australia, which I just think is the most bizarre idea. Um, But there's also this other thread to the critique of Pascoe, which is that um, if he's – if he doesn't look black or, you know, if it's de- demonstrated, you know, that he has no Indigenous heritage, and by the way, I've got, I've got no idea, um, that that somehow makes his book Dark Emu, um, he's not allowed to write that book, which is, the which is, oh, my gosh, the, the strangest, I don't know, I, I think it's the strangest idea that you can't, that only a certain group of people can research a certain area. I, I, and it doesn't. Um, I mean, regardless of anything about Bruce Pascoe, the the work is full of meticulously researched information that was really um, valuable. Well, so it what, is. It's based on 
going through diaries and contemporaneous accounts that give you these little flashes of insight into the world that um, these um, invaders encountered when they arrived in Australia. And it's so valuable for that, I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, look, Tyson Junker-Porter's book is called Sand Talk and it is different from um, Bruce Pascoe's book. It is more um, philosophically ambitious, I think, and it asks a really interesting question, which is if you are telling black history in Australia um, using um, a white historical set of um, measures – then it doesn't make sense. And so it does something, this book does something hugely ambitious, which mm. is to try and tell a story in a new way. Um, there's a little bit that I just highlighted, which I'll read out to you. Um, it's a beautiful book and it is mind-bending. Mm. Um, so... He talks about sort of challenging and stretching the English language. The book is full of like little diagrams because he says that telling a story is not just about language, it's about drawing, it's about navigation, it's about experience. And so it's kind of hard to put it down into um, two dimensions. So this will be a challenge because English inevitably places settler worldviews at the centre of every concept, obscuring true understanding. For example, explaining Aboriginal notions of time is an exercise in futility, as you can only describe it as non-linear in English, which immediately slams a big line right across your synapses. You don't register the non, only the linear. That mm. is the way you process that word, the shape it takes in your mind. Mm. Worst of all, it's only describing the concept by saying what it is not rather than what it is. Mm. We don't have a word for nonlinear in our languages because nobody would consider travelling, thinking or talking in a straight line in the first place. The winding path is just how a path is and therefore it needs no name. Wow, yeah. how interesting. Yeah, it's, um, it really is a sensationally uh, mind-expanding book. Mm, um, okay, that sounds great. And uh, there is a good podcast as well, which is actually um, a podcast, a new podcast that's been uh, established, newish, I think, has been established by um, the staff at Better Red Than Dead, great uh, bookshop in um, Sydney's Inner West. I'll just give it <laughs> a bit of a shout out because they've got a really good interview with Tyson. Um, and it's called it's called talking words. Okay. Um. So you can actually hear him talk about this um approach as well as reading the book. Really What's recommend this it. Another book you've got here. Oh right, this is another novel that I'm also reading at the moment by an Australian writer, Frances Whiting. Mm -hmm. Um, she's a Brisbane Queensland. Writer, yeah. yeah, she's a Brisbane writer. It's called The Best Kind of Beautiful. You'll love it because it's about a family band, <laughs> like a family singing group. <laughs> it's it's sort of it's it's fabulous actually. It's um funny and warm and a bit freaky. It's about um this young woman called Florence St. Clair. Um, she has withdrawn sensationally from her family band, the St. Clair Singers. Is it a comedy or Yeah, it's funny. Right. It's funny. And it's about it's about music and um embarrassing families. Um <laughs> I think I think you'll really like it. It's also okay. about plants in a quite a lovely way. It's um it's gorgeous. It's it's funny and uh, um and 
warm. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of plants, before I boot you out, do you want some herbs? My herbs. Are I just really want some herbs. Awesome. I'm going to get some, some herbs scissors. Real I'm bad. Gonna, I'm going to chop them and then I'm going to boot you out. Ooh, Got okay. anything else you want to talk about? It's not even. It's like ten past seven. I know, but um, you're bored. Of me. No, I'm not actually because I found those last two books. You saved the best for last. Um, uh, no, I'm just conscious that we have rattled through so much stuff. And that reminds me because I was just thinking we've got – we've just rattled through so much stuff making Kathy's life hell because there's so – the Christmas episodes always have so much stuff. Which reminds me that this – should be God, full really is, planned, the last episode that Kathy Beale will be producing for Chat Tent because she's decided that she wants to, you know, after three years of dealing with the shambolic material that we deliver her, she needs to do some other stuff. She wants to concentrate on her health and it's just time to have a break. And we are very um, sad to see her go and it's just been super great fun and she's been Excellent. Well, she's an extraordinary producer and a dear friend and she has just done all sorts of things over the last three years that she probably didn't really expect that she'd be doing when she said, oh, I wouldn't mind learning a bit more about audio production. (laughs) And, of course, she's like the greatest librarian ever. So never again will anyone go (laughs) to the same lengths to dig out references that we've, like, made passing reference to and she'll email and say – well, I found this interview from 1974 <laughs> uh, viewed here on microfiche. That, you know, she is extraordinary she is at that. Crazy detailed. She's got a mind like a steel trap. But also, I mean, over what this podcast's now been going for five years, happy anniversary. Oh. Um, but in the middle of that, this podcast Facebook group started that. Kathy also it was Kathy's idea to do that. Well, she know. said I think you should have a Facebook group. I know, and um, it was such a good idea. But then she then had to run it for a bit, which was uh, and it's just, just become so much more gigantic than anyone. Right, could have exactly. Ever anyway, look, so this is just on behalf of everybody Kathy that you have ever looked after online or in real life. You've looked after us so beautifully and you are the most kind and gentle and brilliant insightful, funny, witty, kooky, gin and tonic, <laughs> cake-making woman. You Fair are the greatest. And yes, I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you. Yes. I mean, you're you. not leaving our lives, but um, thank you for everything that you've poured into this ridiculous podcast and over the last three we, years. And we've just delivered one final plane flying across. <laughs> Special gift for you from us.